You're listening to Miscast. Today we interview MissCon 26 of Fairy Tales gaming guest of honor, Kenneth Height. And joining me is Suzanne Cora. Thank you for joining us, Kenneth. Thanks for having me. So we uh, sent out the word to everybody that we were going to be interviewing you, and we got a lot of people emailing in some questions for us. So we'd like to go ahead and get rolling with them. That sounds great. Have you been to Montana before? I have never been to Montana. The closest I've been is uh, Wyoming when I was uh, a kid. I have uh, an uncle that lived out there. So uh, Cheyenne or Laramie, whichever is closer to Montana, is as close as I've gotten. Are you looking forward to coming out here? I'm very much looking forward to it. I've heard a lot about the convention. and I've, um, uh, you know, like, like I said, never been to Montana. So I'll be interested just to sort of see what, what the town and the, and the environment is like. Awesome. Well, our guest last year was quoted saying that they thought they were flying over Mordor as they flew into Missoula. <laughs> so don't let it scare you if you're looking out the windows and it's, you know, kind of rough looking or anything. Right. Well, I'm, I think I'm flying into uh, Spokane and then John Goff is driving me in. So we'll be driving into Mordor. Oh, okay. You can do. You, uh, yeah, I think they um, you can't allow walk that. Into Mordor, but you can drive it. Yeah, they, they built a highway in. Right. Yeah. It's the A7, I think. How has your background in international relations and cartography influenced uh, your games? I think that uh, both of those uh, make me tend to look, uh, first of all, they make me tend to look towards Earth and uh, uh, Earth history and and actual historical developments and uh, the actual sort of geography of what's possible in the world as the starting point for anything that I design. I do very, very little in terms of uh, pure sub-creation, you know, no fantasy worlds. Um, I'm uh, generally of the opinion that Earth is better researched and better mapped than anything you can make up, and it's a lot faster to start there. So when I uh, work on a game, I usually, uh, I think it comes out of that uh, sort of international history background and the cartographic background to look at, you know, the actual facts on the ground and then start adding elves and magic and uh, zombies and whatnot. That's funny because... As you say that, all of a sudden it like it becomes so apparent when you start looking at some of the things that you've created that you're like, oh yeah, well now that makes sense. Yeah, I mean I've done obviously Star Trek is is all about um, uh, imaginary things uh, mm-hmm. off in the galaxy somewhere that uh, that don't exist, but it's still our galaxy. Right. So there was even some aspect of of, of reality tying uh, there. I've done a little bit of pure fantasy stuff. Uh, for uh, card games or for other companies. And while it can be fun and just that sort of, you know, empty canvas can be a challenge, I think it's it, it, it's both easier and I think more interesting for me if I'm starting, you know, with a, with an actual historical fact or a geographical location. So what got you into gaming and creating games? Well, what got me into gaming was being um, uh, 14 in 1979 um, <laughs> when pretty much uh, Dungeons & Dragons uh, with the uh, AD&D coming out uh, that year. Was, was pretty much at its absolute peak of, of influence and interest. And so I, I think started playing the um, uh, Mike Holmes Blue Book uh, like the year before that, and then I got the Monster Manual when it came out and just was standing up monsters for my buddies' campaigns, and then we started playing. And, it uh, you know, it turns out to be a really, really great thing, playing Dungeons & Dragons or playing role-playing games, and so I pretty much haven't stopped yet. And uh, I, uh, you know... That discovered that I could uh, pay for my hobby and then every so often pay for the mortgage or the cat food bill. So Nice. So do you ever play your own games? I sometimes do. I, I try and leave whatever games I'm playing up to my players uh, because they, you know, have to put up with it. So we've uh, we've done one game that was set in the GURPS Cabal universe, 
or rather it used the GURPS Cabal uh, magic system, and then uh, we've played a bunch of Unknown Armies, which is a line that I've written for, although we haven't really played a lot of the stuff, the, the, the sort of the side stuff that I wrote for it. And then uh, we did do a playtest of Knights Black Agents, which is my new uh, gumshoe game coming out from Pelgrane. And that was something, you know, once again, I gave them four choices and they picked, uh, you know, gumshoe-based vampire hunting. And so that's what we did. Do you plan on running any games while you're here in Missoula? I don't know what the convention is planning for me to do. I think as a general course of action, what I normally do at conventions is seminars and things like that because you can... You can talk to a lot more people and have you know find out uh, what more people are interested in in a seminar room with uh, twenty or thirty people. You try and get twenty or thirty people around a game table, and it's just madness, and nobody has any fun. But you know, I'm not uh, I, I'm not in charge, so I suppose you know it's whatever the uh, the con organizers or the game wrangler or whoever it is, whatever Cthulhu Bob comes up with. From what it looks like, I think what you said is like what it was looking at. But I thought you know maybe. After hours in the evening or something like you might throw something together or something like that. You oh, might you I, you'll probably have people approaching you or something like that. I would imagine asking if you would do it yeah. when you're not. Well, in, go ahead. Anything is possible, but um, uh, my, my my tradition after hours in a game convention is to drink. So <laughs> that is not necessarily you know says that there's no role playing that happens after that. But it, you know if it if it doesn't begin as fiasco, it ends as fiasco. So right. Well, there that definitely happens at MizCon. Uh, so why did you decide to focus on the London book trade for um, Book Hounds of London? Was that also gamer influenced? Uh, that was that was publisher influenced. Uh, when I was doing the uh, the um, narrative structures in the back of the Trail of Cthulhu core book, uh, we obviously wanted to do a um, a standard Miskatonic professors going out and being chomped thing, and that was the Armitage Inquiry, and we wanted to do a sort of a Delta Green style uh, government uh, G-Men versus the Mythos type thing, and that was Project Covenant. And so Simon suggested that we do something that was not like either of those two, that wasn't American and that didn't have a um, uh, sort of a straightforward vibe to it. And I forget whether he or I came up with the notion of uh, basically taking the, um, uh, the world of the Club Dumas uh, out of um, uh, out of Perez Reverte and turning it into a mythos structure, but Bookhounds of London was basically a collaboration between Simon and me in terms of the basic concept, and then uh, I put that into the back of the core book, and everyone seemed to like it very well. And Simon thought that it would make a good uh, uh, supplement on its own, which I certainly was never going to question because I love books and London, and uh, it turned out to be pretty good, and it won. Um, uh, uh, any award for the cartography, and it's nominated for an Origins Award. So looks like other people liked it, too. You're obviously a huge uh, Lovecraft fan. What is your favorite story? My favorite Lovecraft story is uh, The Color Out of Space, because it was the first Lovecraft story I read. It's still just unimaginably terrifying. Even I've read it probably 20 times, and I still get the same you know, sh shivers at the back of my neck and the creeping flesh on my arms that I got when I was 11 and I read it the first time. Um, I, I'm actually able to sleep after reading it, which I wasn't. <laughs> but, and then when you look at it, you compare it to other absolute masterpieces of, of the genre, like, you know, Blackwood's The Willows or, um, uh, you know, um, Parts of Machen. You know, it, it's just a nearly, it, it, it's fundamentally a perfect short story. There's nothing wrong with it. And just as a writer, I'm impressed by it. Even if I wasn't a horror fan, I think 
you know, you wouldn't be able to look at that story and not come away just amazed at it. I mean, obviously, The Call of Cthulhu, the short story, is a tremendous, uh, you know, compositional fugue. It's an amazing piece of work. I love the Charles Dexter Ward sort of the, the, the straightforward narrative of uh, the detective uh, mystery uh, structure with the heroic doctor uh, putting down um, uh, Joseph Kerwin. That's just a great fundamental story. And I like even some of the, the stuff that isn't actually defensible on its own merits, like From Beyond, just because it's such a, a wonderful case of Lovecraft laying his metaphysics out there for everyone to look at. But I, I'd come back to Color Out of Space if there was one Lovecraft story that basically, you know, should be, you know, with A Rose for Emily and The Lottery and every other great horror story in a very, very thin book, that would be that. Speak, so are there any other um, children's books that you plan on giving a Lovecraftian spin to? Uh, right now, uh, John Nephew, who's the publisher at Atlas Games, is deciding, uh, and I think based on sales of the other two books, or the other three books in the line, he's deciding whether or not he wants to um, uh, give me a green light for a fourth book. Obviously, there's there's whole series of them that I would I would love to do. I'd love to do uh, Walter Gilman and the Purple Crayon. I'd love to do. Um, that would be uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> good, good night, Azathoth. You know, just the list goes on and on. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, the the, the um, I would have liked to do, uh, and to think that I saw it on Unknown Kadath, but apparently <laughs> the Geisel Estate is uh, litigious and um, does not have the same. Uh, understanding of the parody clauses of the First Amendment as other people do. So uh, we, we have to back off that one. Uh, but I got a third of it written, so I don't know what I'm going to do with that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you'll think of something. Yeah. Um, what are the, and this is a question from Doug Sharp, what are the easiest and the hardest scenes as a writer for you to write? Well, as, as a role-playing game designer, I get to cheat. I don't have to write anything that really has to convince anyone, that has to feel emotionally true. What I have to do is paint a setting or um, uh, provide understanding of a location or of a series of events. So it's, it's more like writing nonfiction than it is like writing fiction. So it, it very seldom breaks down into scene breaks. The very little fiction that I have done, I think that the easiest scenes are the ones where uh, there's a clear path of action, and I know what's and I can just sort of see it unspool in my mind, you know. He walks to the stairway, he jumps down it, he kicks the two guards in the chest, they fall down. He goes after the third guard, smashes him with the sap. They back off, then they look at him. A scene like that, it just, you know, pours out of me. A scene where I have to sort of explain something to the reader without doing an as-you-know-Bob moment or without doing a... He looked in the mirror and described himself to himself for no reason except to provide... I hate that kind of expositional writing. I mean, when I read it, it always slows me down. It always sticks out like a sore thumb. And I understand you want to know what the character looks like. You want to know, you know, what the world rules are, if it's a fantasy or a science fictional setting. But there just has to be a better way. And I find myself going around and around and around on trying to explain that, um, you know, try and make it work. And obviously, I've done very little fiction compared to my role-playing game writing. So my efforts are probably still fairly clumsy. But those are, those are very difficult to do, those sort of expositional scenes. And possibly because that's all I write in role-playing is expositional scenes. So it's, but you can't do that in a, in a fictional work. So do you have a, uh, a favorite game to run? My favorite game to run, uh, hands down, is Call of Cthulhu, the uh, Sandy Peterson's glorious classic. Uh, part of it is because I have the rules memorized. Part of it is because it's the greatest role-playing game ever designed. And part of it is because I just love the universe. I love the Lovecraftian universe as a setting for 
virtually any kind of horror story you want to tell. Mm -hmm. And uh, the rule set is very responsive and very clean. You can build stuff into it or you can take stuff out of it however you want to uh, run things. So I, I just really, really love running uh, Call of Cthulhu, which I suppose is not a great surprise to anybody. But right. my, many of my players are uh, have, have, have lost enough sanity that they would rather <laughs> not play Call of Cthulhu anymore. So I have to get my... Um, uh, my entertainment somehow else. I think I can relate to them because the last time I played it, I remember, because I had a really good GM for it also. It was really great at telling the story and I found myself like hiding behind the couch and the scenes and stuff, you know, and trying to dissociate myself with what was going on with the game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, have, I, have, um, uh, I have, I have, I have some players who just don't get into Lovecraft and so therefore they, they don't feel any sympathy with, the, with, with what you're trying to develop at all. Right. And I have other players who apparently get a little too into Lovecraft, and so they definitely don't want to look over that ledge again. So, you know, right now we're running Nobilis, which is great fun and uh, is a sensibility that I think everyone enjoys. So that's pretty great. Uh, do you have anything of uh, that you've created that's like kind of a favorite to yourself, like the, like the holdout, you know, like this is my favorite thing that I've ever made? Or Well, I mean, I, I don't know exactly. People are fond of saying, you know, well, they're all great or I love them all equally or whatever. And certainly there's things that I've written that I'm fonder of than other things. Mm -hmm. Um I, I don't know if it's a recency effect or if I'm just actually getting better at it, but I'm really very fond of Day After Ragnarok, my uh, uh, Robert E. Howard, Howardian-style post-apocalyptic uh, setting for Savage Worlds and Hero. And I'm really, really fond of Knights Black Agents, which I am uh, basically have finished. There's a couple of little tweaks that need to be done for the final layout uh, for Pelgrane Press, the gumshoe uh, spies versus vampires uh, game. Uh, my vampire spy thriller, and I, I think both of those are really, really terrific. I, I really enjoy looking into those uh, games and writing in those uh, sort of conceptual universes a great deal. But then I look back to stuff that I did, you know, at the beginning of my career, and I, I'm really fond of the alternate Earths books that I did, you know, way back in the mid '90s. Yeah, when we asked you the first question about the, you know, the cartography and everything, like the day after Ragnarok was like the one that immediately came to mind. Uh, to me when you were answering that and it's uh it's a it's a really great it idea too i thought it's just you know it's not, like when i first heard about it i was like wow you know that's you know so innovative or whatever you know like, but it still has that kind of you know like why, why can't i think of something like that you know aspect to it and well the, 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 it's fun that you mentioned the cartography in that one because i did the sort of the, the structure map and then hal mangled right uh, did the final map and I would hear from uh, the guy, the publisher's uh, booth or the, the guys who were selling it at Origins and Gen Con that when someone came up and asked what it was, they would just open it to the map of a <laughs> giant snake lying across Europe. And they would say, this is what it's about. And that that would, you know, that, that would apparently sell the book without them doing anything else. Right. Yeah, that's it's really great. So do you have a gaming system that you just really love writing for? Well, I, I really love writing for um, uh, uh, the, the Gumshoe system right now. I'm, I'm really enjoying that. I enjoyed a great deal writing for the uh, CODA system, the old Decipher uh, system um, that uh, we invented for the second iteration of the Star Trek role-playing game that we did. That was a real sort of a game design challenge. I, I enjoy writing for GURPS, although it's a different sort of a, of a habit because there, there's so much mechanical... Uh, uh, there are so many mechanical rules and rules of thumb already established by the other GURPS designers that coming up with a new end, uh, system in GURPS is it's a little more like building a ship in a bottle, whereas coming up with something for Gumshoe is more like just building a ship, mm -hmm. right? 
I mean, right. they're, they're both great fun and they're both very interesting and challenging, but I think it's a different kind of a game design skill. I mean, I'm not, you know, fundamentally a systems guy. I certainly know systems, but there are, you know, if, you, if you're looking for something to be designed soup to nuts, you can go to Greg Stoltz or Robin Laws and probably get a much better job. But then when you want, you know, the person to add ghosts to it, then you can come back to me. So what uh, made you decide that you wanted to write the Complete Idiot's Guide to U.S. History? That was a deal that um, uh, Matt Forbeck uh, set up. He knew the, um, uh, the, the, the guys at IDW who did the um, packaging for, Peng, for Penguin for those books. And, um, he's, and one of them said, hey, Matt, would you like to write you know, the script for the Complete Idiot's Guide to U.S. History? And Matt said, well, I don't think that I could do that, but my buddy Ken Hyde could probably do that without working nearly so hard. And so he tossed that uh, job in my lap, and I, you know, picked it up, and it, it was a challenge. I've never written that much in terms of comic scripts. I've done a little bit in college, but this was a whole other ball of wax. And it was, um, uh, it, was, it was really interesting. And so, you know, as a result of that, I've got a much better sense of, the, of breakdowns and panel beats and a lot of other things that I didn't have when I went into it. So I'm, yeah, I, it was both, you know, because I could do the job and because... Uh, it would teach me a new craft that I didn't really have before. So one of the questions we got through Facebook from uh, somebody from Great Falls named Jeff Ruby, he was wondering, is there anything that you would rather be doing than what you are doing now? Well, I mean, obviously, I think everyone would, you know, rather be, you know, on a, on a tropical beach with, you know, Kate Upton than what they're doing now. But, <laughs> I um, guess I should have clarified, like, like, more of like a, like a dream, dream job or whatever, you know, I guess didn't get... <laughs> No, I mean, right now, I think writing is a great dream job. I mean, you know, you don't have to wear a tie or even pants. Um, <laughs> if you've got, uh, if you've got a, a good relationship with your, with your clients and your customers, you're never short of work. Um, it, 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 right now, I can basically pick a topic and uh, write anything I want, and someone will buy it, and that's a great feeling. I mean, obviously... You know, everyone would like to be paid more and work less, but in terms of the actual day in, day out, you know, putting pixels to paper, that's, uh, that's a pretty great gig. We already talked about how much you love Lovecraft. Are there any other writers that have really inspired you? Oh, I mean, there's, there, there's a lot. Uh, of Ram Davidson, the uh, science fiction and fantasy writer, um, uh, he did uh, the Adventures in Unhistory series of essays that were sort of one of my models for the suppressed transmissions. And his fiction is just amazing in terms of being able to present an effortlessly Baroque universe. I, I go back to him all the time. Tim Powers is the greatest living fantasy novelist in English. Uh, tremendous inspiration. I'm about uh, halfway through his new novel, Hide Me Among the Graves. Uh, everything that he writes is, is sort of what I want to be when I'm a grown-up. You know, on, on sort of the, you know, the, the next level up, you'd look at someone like um, uh, uh, Thomas Pynchon, or you'd look at, uh, you know, just in terms of prose style, you look at Orwell or Kipling or people like that. But um, yeah, in the in, in the in the in the dirty world of, of genre, um, there's you know every good writer is, is someone who can who can teach you something, and everyone is some something you can learn from. Obviously, Robert E. Howard is is a, is a terrific model for sort of you know colorful, two-fisted, get it done fiction. I mean, I, I think that you can probably learn more as a working writer today reading Howard than you can reading Hemingway. And uh, James Elroy, I guess, would be you know one of the one of the great models. I mean, if you can write a crime novel that tenth as good as a James Elroy crime novel, you can pretty much knock it off for the rest of the week. He's he's just terrific. 
So, if someone asked what book they should read before they die, what would you tell them? Well, I mean, I, I guess uh, it depends on how close they are. You know? <laughs> <laughs> if, if they've only got a very little time, maybe Goodbye, Mr. Chips might be the one that's about 50 pages. Um, but uh, I think everyone should read Thucydides' History of the Peloponnesian War just to be an adult. Um, it, you know, that if, if there's one book that I would, you know, make the base curriculum of everything, that would be the one. In terms of fiction, I think that uh, Pride and Prejudice is the, probably the greatest novel mm. ever written. And, you know, if you read uh, that, you know, you keep reading Jane Austen and you'll die happy. <laughs> yeah, I would not have picked you for an Austen fan. Yeah, that, I was surprised on both answers. <laughs> well, my, uh, my, my wife actually uh, is, was an English major in college. And when I met her, uh, she, you know, made an allusion to Jane Austen and I looked blank and basically... <laughs> The relationship could not have gone any further if I had remained ignorant of, of Jane Austen. And then when you pick up something like, um, uh, well, I picked up Pride and Prejudice, and like I said, I think it's the greatest novel in the English language. You, you pick up something like that, if you're any kind of a reader, if you don't respond to that, it's your fault. And you, you need to sort of, you know, pull up your pants and get, get going with the big boys. So, yeah, I mean, um, I think that's a terrific novel. Probably the novel that I've read the most often is uh, Josephine Tay's novel, The Daughter of Time, but I wouldn't put it as, you know, anything on that level. Uh, so another question that we got from uh, a MISCON member is Sean O'Connor. He asked if there's any uh, major trends in pen and paper role-playing that you foresee in the future. Well, I think going into the future, there's uh, we're going to see an acceleration of the trend to uh, cutting out the middleman, direct uh, designer-to-consumer uh, production. And we've seen that with the PDF model, which is now, you know, between 30 and 50% of some game companies, some major print game companies, bottom line. You're seeing it with Kickstarter, where you're basically able to create a game idea and build a community of patrons. And uh, you're seeing it to an extent in the indie game movement, where you get a game like Fiasco or a game like um, uh, uh, Pilgrim's of the Flying Temple. Or you get a system... Like where uh, Zach uh, Smith, who does the uh, playing D&D with porn stars blog, builds up a blog audience that is then uh, uh, primed to want to see how he does it. And he produces something like Vornheim, which is terrific. So I think that the model is really, as we go forward, uh, it's going to be disintermediation. And the model is it goes as closely as possible from producer to consumer with, with, no, with no intermediary. I mean, to some extent, there's going to have to be you know, the place you download it off the internet, whether that's, you know, uh, drive through RPG or Amazon or Apple. And there's going to have to be some level of um, uh, functionality in terms of turning it into a paper artifact for people who, who want those. But the, the closer you can get to an actual design community, uh, I think the closer we're getting to, to where things are going. And you can look at uh, that's how small press fiction has gone uh, by now. Uh, the people who, like at Ash Tree Press that keep uh, MR James in print. Uh, they, you know, they hand solicit or in uh, tabletop war games uh, with GMT's uh, P500. Once they have 500 pre-orders, they print a game. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that if you look at that kind of a model, that I think is the model that we're, you know, sort of exploring uh, in role playing. And I think it's the model that pretty much all publishing is going to wind up in mm -hmm. and possibly all content delivery. Right. I think you're spot on with that one. Um, to kind of give you a hint of one of your panels, I was looking up that what they had you down for and, and see if you can give us any teaser. One of them is uh, Great Train Wrecks in Gaming. 
<laughs> so is there any like in in any of your gaming any big you know snafu that comes to mind that you can like, maybe give us a teaser about well um uh, i think uh, my train wrecks tend to be in slow motion um <laughs> There's, uh, there's a, a syndrome that one of my players calls going up the Nile. And it's, it's, a, it's a thing that, where I think that there's going to be a really great um, uh, set of encounters. And it, it happened in, I think, a Castle Falkenstein game when they were going up the Nile looking for the source of the Nile. And it turns out that uh, that can take a lot longer than you thought it was going to take. And then everyone gets really tired and angry and hot. It, it, on the one hand, it's just like going up the Nile. But on the other hand, it's not really conducive to fun role-playing. So I, I think those are, that, that's my standard train wreck. If I, if I manage to destroy my game uh, in any way, it's, it's by going up the Nile. <laughs> and then the last uh, question that I am supposed to ask you from, comes from uh, the Sandbaggers Game Club, which is a game club up in Great Falls, uh, Montana, that comes to the convention every year. They have a great name. They're named after the greatest uh, television show, uh, possibly you know since The Prisoner. They'll they'll probably be excited to have you recognize that. Yeah. Anyway, they wanted me to ask you what your t-shirt size is because they always print t-shirts and. Uh, they well, can... my t-shirt size is is um uh, it's somewhere between X and double XL, X and a half maybe. <laughs> uh, so two XL is is the one that makes sure that you know between the dryer and uh, right you know. Dessert, I will still be able to fit into it, you know, this time next year. Uh, what draws you to the horror genre? I don't know necessarily what draws me as opposed to other people to the horror genre. I mean, I think that there's a, there, you know, as Lovecraft says, the, um, uh, the, the, the oldest and most powerful emotion is fear. And if you're, you know, reading to sort of spark an emotional response in yourself, I think, I think reading horror is a great way to do that. Uh, and... You know, horror has got, you know, a glorious pedigree of terrific, terrific practitioners in it. So it's just, you know, part, maybe it's just an aesthetic. It's just that I, I like uh, the way that people write horror, usually. And maybe it's just, you know, childish um, uh, love of vampires and bloody farm implements and whatever else. <laughs> I, I think it's, you know, some people like roller coasters and some people don't like roller coasters. And, you know, I think that I literally like roller coasters. I like horror. I like thrillers. I like uh, anything that gets the, adrenal, uh, the adrenaline going. So... Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm sure that you could come up with a big pseudo-intellectual justification about, you know, fear of the future or whatever else, but I, I'm pretty sure that it's pure biology, and, you know, this, I, I like horror the same reason some people like, um, uh, you know, strawberry ice cream. It's just, uh, it, my mental taste buds tingle when I, when I read Bram Stoker or when I read um, uh, Laird Barron or whoever. So no Jane Austen-based role-playing games? You know, if, if there could be a Jane Austen-based role-playing game, uh, Steve Kenson, who I don't know if you guys know, uh, he's uh, the designer of Mutants and Masterminds and a number of other terrific games. He and I have a standing agreement that if either of us wins the lottery, or if Anne Dupuy, who publishes uh, The Fudge for Grey Ghost, wins the lottery, we're going to write uh, the occult romance role-playing game, which is going to be, uh, you know, Jane Austen <laughs> with sorcery. <laughs> And that sounds fantastic. And there's going to be one yeah. age of combat rules, and uh, all combat skills are going to default to dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I hope or, that, that uh, comes we about. To, we have to wait for the market to catch up with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've already that's, had Jane Austen with vampire or zombies. That's so. true, they have. Um, but uh, Jane Austen with Jane Austen is hard enough. We're doing, um, we're doing a game, uh, myself and Emily Care Boss and um, uh, Lisa Steele, are doing a game called Bubble Gumshoe, which is a teen detective role-playing game. 
it's basically Veronica Mars with the serial numbers filed off. <laughs> and so there will be a relationship map and a lot of um, use of your relationships as, uh, as basically as your abilities in that. So that might be the kind of thing that you would eventually build a Jane Austen type game onto. Uh, I know that Robin Laws has uh, wanted to do a Regency fantasy for a while, so maybe, you know, if, if Bubblegum shoot points the way that he and I can collaborate on a Jane Austen with Sorcery game before uh, winning the lottery. That would be awesome. I play I it. think so. All right, I think that's all we have for you, Kenneth. Okay, thanks very much. Uh-huh, thanks for joining us, and we look forward to meeting you in uh, May here in Missoula. Yeah, I look forward to coming out. I'm uh, really looking forward to the convention and looking forward to seeing everybody. Great. Well, we'll, we'll talk to you later, and thanks again. All right, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to Suzanne for sitting in with me today and asking some questions and coming up with some questions to begin with, too. No problem. And thanks to everybody on Facebook that sent in questions. Uh, Jeff Ruby, Robert Thompson, Sean O'Connor, Katie Anderson, Justin Barba. Uh, and if I missed anybody, you can yell at me and I'll mention the next podcast. But before we go, we need to put out another uh, trivia question for the Everything But the Room MizCon 26 A Fairy Tale Extravaganza contest. We're still working on the name. And Suzanne is here to ask it to you. In George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire, what is the name of Eddard Stark's eldest legitimate child? So that's our third question. I can't remember what number one. We were mixing up the numbers just to confuse people last time. But I think that's our third one of six. So there's two more out there. Uh, once you get all the answers, email all the answers to miscast at miscon.org for your chance to win a full weekend pass, writer's anthology t-shirt, dice, and whatever else we can come up with.